0: Welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Hi Margie. Hey Claire, how are you? I'm good. I'm looking out on a sunny day. Yeah, I think it's not quite summer, but it's really coming, isn't it?
1: I love this time of year. Would you say May is your, no, June's got to be your favourite month, but what's your second favourite month? Is it May?
0: I think the weather in May in Scotland is generally pretty good. Whenever anyone, family or friends that live abroad want to come and visit, I always say, come in May. We always get our best weather in May. Well, especially during exam season, and we've both, we've both got children studying for exams. So as long as they are still studying, I'm sure the weather's gonna hold. It'll be once they finish their exams, usually the beginning of June, uh, that it cracks. That should be like an adage in some kind of farmer's almanac,
1: you know, that the weather is fine as long as the exams are still sitting. Because it's, um yeah, I, I also have memories of looking out of windows you know being miserable whether it was uni exams or high school I have a visceral memory of being on the second story of a in a classroom of a, of my high school looking out on the most beautiful sunny day and just desperate to be out there in law school exams are always this time of year so I, although I feel sorry for my children I feel like it's a rite of passage to have to study through the sun the differences in Scotland in the in June the, the rain comes whereas at least in the States you know it continues to be warm Luckily for us, our kids both have serious sports commitments that continue on through this study period, which I think is useful because then they kind of get it out of their systems. You know, they're outside running about for a couple of hours, and then I know that they're both quite similar. They'll get back to the books. So, but it's soon to be over and summer will come. I'm really excited about our story this month because it's so much to do with the outside and a perfect theme, which is gardening. And that the
0: story is all about the idea of gardening and an allotment. Shall I make a start? Yeah. The Allotment by Morgan Melhuish Among the rows of potatoes, beetroots and carrots are the bamboo teepees I made. I secured them with clove hitches and diagonal lashings from my Cub Scout handbook. Before we planted runner beans and sweet peas round their base, grandfather and I used them as trebuchets We dug small stones from the soil and used large elastic bands to catapult the projectiles across the allotment. I hope they went in Mr G's patch. That's where I aimed for. I don't like him. He always shouts at me if I take the shortcut between his gooseberry bushes and raspberry canes to the scrubland beyond the brambles. Grandfather is very keen on his spuds this year. One of his mates got free seed potatoes from some sort of online offer and grandfather loves something for nothing. One man's trash is another man's treasure, he often says. Grandma, on the other hand, says he's a hoarder and banishes him from tinkering in the house. So we come down here to tinker instead. Today, though, is special. I'm on orders. I'll get crucified if I get mucky in my Sunday best. Shall we give them a good drink then, lad? I consider it. That should be okay, as long as I'm careful around the standpipe and don't splash or slop it about. As water streams into the watering can, I watch Grandfather inspect the cabbages. I smile to myself. This time of year, and he's at war with the aphids and slugs, Heaven help them if they so much as slither onto his plot. I'm not gardening for their benefit, now am I? He'll ask me. But of course, he doesn't need my reply. It's one of those rhetorical questions we learn about in school. I'm amazed how often adults use them. When I'm done, Grandfather asks, How long then? Pardon? Don't play dumb lad. How long do we have to wait down here before the party? I laugh. He always ferrets out a secret. Grandma despairs. I don't like surprises, he tells her. He doesn't stop her trying. And his 60th birthday is no different. Be more of a surprise if she put on a bash for my 59th, wouldn't it, eh? You best act shocked. So shocked they'll give me an Oscar. I laugh again. You're no Catherine Hepburn, grandfather. He loves his old movies. And I've seen a fair few of his favourites. More than once. Well, as we've given them a drink, how about one for us? Time for a brew. I grab the box of matches while Grandfather pours water from the butt into a small saucepan. I start the ring going with a dull whomp as the flame ignites the gas. We're silent, comfortable in our routine. There's just the hiss and heat as we watch water boil. There's biscuits, I think, lad. I leap into action. The shed is lined with shelves full of tins of all shapes and sizes. I know which are filled with nails or bolts or washers, and I definitely know which hold the tea and biscuits. I grab the only bourbon and leave grandfather with the custard creams. There's a dash of milk in a flask from when he was here yesterday. I cautiously sniff to check it hasn't gone off in the heat and split it between the two tin mugs. I add spoonfuls of loose tea to the old brown pot and carefully drown it in the boiling water. We wait for it to mash and it runs out like water in a brackish tarn. Shall we stop there?
1: Yeah, definitely. Quick question. We wait for it to mash. Is that a kind of terminology you know?
0: My mum would have said we wait for it to mask with a cake.
1: Does that mean like steep or yeah, does it yeah. mean something
0: else? She would say has the tea masked? So maybe it's a corruption of or you know, just a different usage. It makes mash make sense to me. You know, the idea of, like blend the water and tea. If it's taking a bit long,
1: you might take your spoon in and mash the tea bag about a bit. Or you would mash a tea bag against the side. Okay, I love this grandfather. I really like this the feel of him or the sort
0: of his sensibility. What do you think? I love the relationship between the two of them and, you know, the fact that he was happy to use the canes as catapults and, you know, he wasn't saying now we shouldn't be doing that or you know he feels like a fun grandpa. And
1: also like that idea that he's banned from tinkering in the house so he's sent down to the allotment to tinker instead which I find very funny. I sometimes wonder if people started out that way like in relationships whether they were began with him being a hoarder and grandmother not admiring that quality in him or whether you know by the time you're 60 you've kind of built your way into that, you know, kind of polarized in a way. So, but I, you know, I love the image of her saying, nope, go and tinker somewhere else.
0: Uh, There's a cheekiness about him though, isn't there? You know, Mm. there would be more of a surprise if he had a birthday party, surprise party for his 59th, you know, and then offering to put on a performance worthy of an Oscar made me smile. Yeah.
1: And I like the fact that he knows it's coming and isn't cross. And in fact, has obviously made a decision to bring his grandchild in on the fact that he knows which is nice you know he could either be stewing or he could be furious and letting the grandchild know so that you know they also feel terrible but instead you know he's done this thing of like all right come on we're in it together I won't let on and it feels like a nice camaraderie between them like a secret between them somehow which I like.
0: Yeah, and I think that really helps give us a really strong sense of their relationship in a really short space of time. We know that they've watched films together and we know that he's obviously been at the allotment a lot and knows where the biscuits are and doesn't think twice about taking the last chocolate one out of the yeah. tin. So he's obviously really comfortable with, with his grandfather, which I really like.
1: Yeah, also, and is allowed to deal with the flame, you know, which makes my heart stop. And of course, that's a grandparent thing, right? I think, you know, as parents, we're so overly cautious at times. And um, and I think grandparents have a, have a more of a worldly view, which is not, not necessarily reckless. In some ways, I think they're more careful, but I think they have a more of a sense of what's likely to go wrong in things like lighting matches and lighting flames and things. So it feels like almost a job that a child might not get at home because it's too dangerous. But the grandparent, because they've also got the time to watch them do it.
0: Yeah. And I think as well, you have a different sense of what going wrong looks like. I mean, I have a friend who I can remember very clearly was a great follower of the Montessori approach to bringing up your children. And I don't know very much about it, but what I gathered is that her child had way more access to things like knives and pouring mugs of milk and even making themselves an omelette when they were like pulling a chair. Up to the cooker to be able to stand to get up, and I used to when I, if I ever went around with coffee with my kids, I used to be on my edge of my nerves the whole time. You know, the the mum would say, "Would you like an apple," and this three year old would produce a knife and proceed to chop up apples for kids. And I mean, half of me desperately admired her and the independence that her child had compared to mine, and the other half of me was having palpitations the whole time we were there. Maybe grandparenting
1: is Montessoriing in some way. You know, I think of Mont- Again, I don't know. And very much about it. But I think of Montessori being more about really taking that individual time with a child to work out what they want and what they're interested in and that kind of care. Not that we didn't care, but less about rules and more about their own wishes. Now, please, all of you Montessori folk out there, please message us and let us know where we got it wrong. But the Montessori parents that I knew were more like that than I was. And I do think grandparents are like that. You know, they see the person in a child rather than the tasks that a parent quite often sees. And that's not that we don't love our children, but they come with so many things that need doing and places need going and all that. Whereas a grandparent, because they've, they've got that child for a much more limited period, can put all those other, their own tasks aside and say things like, well, what do you want to do? Or let me show you how to do this in a way that I wouldn't have wanted my own children to be brandishing knives at the age of three. So yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's a nice connection that we get to be Montessori when we get to be more Montessori when we're grandparents. I also just love the idea of the garden. It occurred to me as you were reading that first paragraph about rows of potatoes and beetroots and carrots and things, that the garden is a thing that you, it's a bit like our open book groups, I think. You know, you come together and it's not quite an excuse, but it's a a thing that allows you to do other things, whether that's kind of have time to yourself or think about things or whatever. But in this case, it's almost like a playground of a sort, you know, that allows you time to spend with a grandchild. I often think so many of the things, or I'm increasingly thinking, so many of the things we do all day long, whether that's read books or go for walks or garden or whatever, is actually just a means to a different kind of end. And I'm sort of trying to figure out what the end can be at times. So for me, gardening is a lot of peace and quiet. You know, I love that space and time. And obviously, my subconscious is away at work. I feel much better after digging weeds or planting things or planning things. But a lot of that, I think, is just that space and time away from other things and in this case it feels like you know it's that space and time for them to be together
0: and I think to be together in a space where their grandparent is not saying so how was school and what did you do today you know where the focus is not solely on the child and they're being asked to belly button gaze for want of a better phrase and talk about how their day was and whatever. but they have this sort of joint purpose between them. And those conversations happen around what they're doing together, but not necessarily be the main focus.
1: And and it's an easy place to be successful. You know, it's pretty easy to put things in the ground and, and get something. And I remember doing it a lot when my children were tiny, with a very tiny garden, the year Florence was born so Pete would have been four, you know, we got like half a dozen pea pods and half, half a dozen tomato, like nothing substantial, but the wonder he had at having things grow, you know, week on week, enormous sunflowers, you know, things like that, that were pretty easy to grow. And we weren't feeding ourselves. It wasn't about sustainability. Although increasingly for me, it is about growing things that I can can freeze and use all year long. But, you know, it isn't about that. It was just about creating something together and him seeing partly too for children to see where the food that they eat comes from, making that connection. But yeah, I think it's 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 a relatively easy success, especially if the grandpa has an allotment and is obviously has done it for a while. So, you know, those bushes are just, the raspberry bushes are just going to create raspberries unless it's a terrible season. And the same with the gooseberries and potatoes really will grow, you know, unless you try very hard to kill them. Carrots, on the other hand, I would say are harder, Claire, because they need sand and they get carrot fly. And when I had allotment years ago, the lovely guy next to me in the allotment called Bernie said to me, I have a rule. I try not to grow anything that I can buy for less than a pound a bag unless they really taste different so he said for me potatoes taste different but onions not so much so and they're you know they take up they take up space and he said carrots are a real pain and you can buy a really good bag for 60p so he said that my rule was to only grow things that cost a lot that i I couldn't afford in the supermarkets or that i really could taste the difference and so he put me off carrots which i think was great because i've never had to do them again (laughs) Here's the other problem with gardens is that you have to be home all summer to tend them. So increasingly, I think it's the wrong time of year to holiday in the summer in Scotland because it can be such lovely weather, but you do have to be around. You know, I, I know people a generation older than us even who won't leave in the summer because of their gardens. And I remember used to think that was mad. And now I kind of see it. I think, well, actually, as the kids get bigger and have a bit more flexibility, I can absolutely see taking my holidays in January and February. You've all heard me on this podcast in February, the darkest, bleakest month. So, you know, I feel like maybe it's not a bad thing to stick around when the garden's bountiful and, and you can be out with the light all day. So yeah, I miss my allotment, although now I have an enormous garden patch myself which I've been putting things in all spring growing from seed and putting them in the greenhouse and I have a lot of time for this grandfather because I'm doing the same things as him although I don't have a grandchild not yet which I'm grateful for I should add very quickly
0: shall we read on to the end of the story
1: yeah okay so they're sitting down with a cup of tea here we go we clink our mugs together cheers happy birthday grandfather I feel I can say it now that the cat's out of the bag. Sixty. How did that happen, eh? One year after another. He laughs at me, my comment. That's quite a lot of years. It's true. I can't imagine being old like grandfather. Good years, I ask. Can't complain, he tells me. For grandfather, that's positively glowing praise. I have you lot. You keep me on my toes, especially you. I suck on my tea-dunked bourbon, pleased he's mentioned me. And what about you, Arthur? What do you want from life? I know what comes to mind, but it isn't working as a chemist or as an accounts manager, respectable things father would approve of. I hesitate a little. I know grandfather will understand, or at least I think he will. Adventure? I say at last. Not much call for pirates or explorers in County Durham, he smiles. No, I protest. I didn't mean it like that. I can't explain it, really. I don't want a house and a wife, and I don't want to go to church every Sunday. I don't want a life of exams or just typing and emails forwarding phone calls like my sister's so keen on. I haven't seen what I want yet. Sorry, Arthur, I didn't mean to tease you. There's plenty of wonder out there, if you know where to look for it where? Well, that depends on you. I found my wonder here, strange as it sounds. I'm not sure if he's talking about the allotment or Durham or even about our family. I must be screwing up my face in puzzlement because grandfather continues. Be kind. Think of others. Then you'll see what I mean. He drains his mug with an appreciative smack of his lips. Though you never know, Maybe you'll find a pirate ship needing a tea boy. I laugh. I'm nobody's tea boy. Well, he sighs. Shall we get this over and done with? I look at the watch father gave me for my eleventh birthday. As long as we walk slowly. And remember, grandfather, shocked. Act shocked. I think
0: you get so much more in that section. And we know for the age of the child as well, which was a question that was sort of wobbling around in my head as you were reading that, the second part of it.
1: Yeah, exactly, because the conversation takes a heavy turn. But again, I think you see the strength of their relationship because he thinks he's being kind of belittled a little bit. And then the grandfather apologizes, which I think isn't something you often get in that generation gap. Again, I think it's really seeing the child rather than being focused on yourself and looking at the child's face and realizing you might have hurt them or that they were being brave in a way that he might not have realized when he laughed. But I, I worry about the advice to be kind and think of others. And then you'll see what I mean. Whereas I think the child's instinct is to go and see the world, to be curious and explore and find things out that are new that don't necessarily align with being kind and thinking of others.
0: Maybe the being kind, but I think if you're embedded in your family and exhorted to think of others, then leaving, you know, can be a difficult thing to do.
1: Well, especially as it's clear that the child thinks his father's got expectations of him, of an office job or whatever. So being kind and thinking of others, for me, is a kind of, I don't think it's what the grandfather means. But for me, the worry is the child goes away thinking, I must be kind and think of others and not think about what I want, which is some adventure, something different, something unusual. I do like the way that the grandfather says, I found my wonder here that kind of return to wonder in small things. But I think it's really hard to see that when you're a teenager. They definitely need to go see the world.
0: And also that sort of information that he's passing on, that you can find wonder in the close by and in the small. And yes, there's wonder out there, but there's also wonder in other places. But I'm, I'm firmly of the
1: view that it's hard to see it unless you go out again. And I was just thinking that young children do see I think the wonder in very small things whether it's you know weed growing between the cracks paving slabs or a worm or a snail you know very small things they find rightly find remarkable that's useful as adults for us to watch because we're reminded of that too but then those things very quickly become ordinary and even their surroundings become ordinary so you know for the large part my children want to leave Edinburgh which is a remarkable city I know as an adult having lived in many other cities that it's a remarkable place you know we get so much for uh, our pop relative to our population and lots of other incredible benefits of living here but they need to go and see another city they all without exception want to flit do you say you know go and um see other places and i think it's entirely possible that they'll come back they'll but that kind of wonder finding the wonder under your feet i think it's almost better than when you stay put, you know, and you're still not really
0: seeing it properly. I think you have to find that for yourself, though. I mean, people can tell you that things are wonderful and great, and, but you have to come to that conclusion yourself, I think, for it to be truly contenting.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Here's my question for you about going to the party. Do you think Grandpa's going to seem shocked? Do you believe in his kind of acting skills or do you think grandma knows that he knows and has just let him away with it?
0: Oh, I don't know. I think he is wily enough to do Shocked. And I think he will want to protect Arthur. So I think he will do a decent enough job of having a shocked face on.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Because you can imagine the relationship where he tells her he doesn't like surprises. It tells us a lot about them, doesn't it? You can imagine the relationship where he says, I don't like surprises and she does it anyway. And he knows she's going to do it anyway, <laughs> you know. So it's sort of like the agreement to do tinkering somewhere else. Like as long as it's outside, I don't know. Like I recognize it because that's who you are and I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. This story makes me laugh because part of the reason I went to Tasmania this year was a 60th birthday party. And the person who, whose party it was, didn't like parties, didn't want to party. And so it was a surprise party. But because people were traveling from all over the world to the party, she eventually told him it was happening. And apparently, in a very funny way, you know, gave him the invitation and he opened it and just set it aside and kept chatting. (laughs) and couldn't bring himself to speak about it (laughs) Um, until he was told a few of the people that were coming from all over the world. And then he said, well, I guess I better cheer up about it then. I think it was probably just as well, it wasn't left to the last minute as a surprise because sometimes those don't, you know, you end up being annoyed at your own party and then being annoyed with yourself later. So I'm glad that he knows actually, because he's obviously had time to come around to the idea.
0: And I think for me, part of the fun of a party is all the planning and the looking forward to, and I wouldn't say I don't like surprises, but in a way I think It's a bit like holidays that, you know, if it's a complete surprise, feel a tiny bit cheated out of some of the good bits around it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I love surprises
1: too, but I think you're right. Part of it is that you need to get your brain in gear and get on the train and it being at a party. And I think part of the problem with not knowing is that you lose part of the party trying to come to terms with what's happening around you, or you are, at least if you're someone like me who wants to know who's there and wants to kind of think about what I, I mean, I don't actively think about what I want to chat with people about, but being excited to hear stories or, you know, catching up with people about specific things. So, yeah, I think in general, it's best especially if you're someone who doesn't like them to know ahead of time. So I'm glad that he knows because he's obviously having a laugh with his grandson about it ahead of time, which is good. And I think he'll be I think he'll look look surprised and yet be in good form, which is really the best way round, isn't it? Thanks to Morgan for his story and for letting us podcast it today. yeah, So now we've got a poem from Claire Askew, who is a great supporter of Open Book, and it's from her first collection called This Changes Things. And because of the poem, which is called Catalogue of My Grandmother's Sayings, and the fact that my accent
0: is wrong for it,
1: Claire's going to read it for us.
0: Catalogue of my grandmother's sayings A bloody good hiding Another egg chipped Bent as a nine bob note Blood and sand, blood and stomach pills. Broad as it's long. Brought up in the bottle and seen nought but the cork. Could ride bare arse to London on them scissors. Could have written slut in the dust in that house. Dogs in the same street bark alike. Good clip under the lugs what he needs. Like a blue ash fly. Ninepence to the shilling. Not as green as his cabbage looking. Queer as Dick's hat band. Six of one and half a dozen of the other. Twined as a bag of weasels. We'll go to the foot of our stairs. Well, our Helen, Judith, Sarah, Christine, Clare. What a right bag of washing. You want not with that, I tell you. You want not with that. Makes me laugh, this poem, because I can absolutely imagine my granny saying quite a few of these things and a few of her own.
1: We would love for all of you out there listening to go and find this poem on our website and tell us what some of these things mean to you, because we have long discussions about what some of these mean.
0: Yeah, quite a few of them, though, are are ones. Broad as it's long, would my granny's way of saying, she would say she was as broad as she's long, and that would be her way of saying that she's tubby. That's so mean. (laughs) It is mean. It's really mean. I'm scared to ask what some of these meant. What does another egg chipped mean? I don't know that one, but I I would guess it would be something else broken, something else damaged.
1: And the same with brought up in the bottle and seen note, but the cork. Meaning it's green
0: behind the ears, kind of like I think you're... think so, yeah. And the, the opposite being not as green as his cabbage looking. So he's a bit wiser than he makes out.
1: I think what's beautiful about this poem, apart from... You know, the the opportunity to explore e- each of these, what it tells us about Claire's relationship with her grandmother, because she remembers them all.
0: I know that sort of Lion Weller, Helen, Judith, Sarah, Christine, Claire, my gra- my granny used to do the same because it was sort of five of us sort of cousins, all girls. She would always get her names mixed up and, you know, just run through the litany of the five names. She would eventually land upon the right one. That's exactly what Claire says. I've heard her read this poem a few times, and her grandmother just couldn't remember their names
1: anymore, and so she just shouted all of them even though there was only one in the house and eventually get to the right one i love that could have written slut in the dust in that house every time someone reads it out loud i laugh because it's just hilarious and i think you probably could write it
0: that in my house too god she cuz she's not allowed in my house it reminds me of my granny who used to who used to talk about you know if someone um had a pair of trousers that they've grown out of and there was a sort of a gap where their ankles were showing. My granny would say, oh, he's got his Rabbi Purrises on today. And I would be like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, and and she explained to me one day that there was a boy in her class at school called Rabbi Purrises, whose trousers were always, he, he had an older brother, but his older brother was much shorter than him. He was a tall, thin boy and he always got his brother's hand-me-downs. But <laughs> they were always too short. So by the time mean. they got handed to them, and so in the whole class, or probably the whole village's parlance, if someone was wearing trousers they'd outgrown, they were known as rabbi purses. As a small child, I called short trousers rabbi purses <laughs> until I understood exactly it wasn't a real word. And I used to—I mean, we used to call them flood
1: trousers. Like you know, as kids would shout at each other, "When's the flood?" But now it's funny because the other day I was watching somebody walk down the street in trousers that were perfectly normal and also cut high like that and thinking, ah, it's such a good thing in the last sort of three years that the trouser lengths have gone from being super long to super short above the ankles for for men and women, because for a long time, it was just women, but boys seem to be able to wear them above the ankle or whatever, wherever they want now. And I was thinking, goodness, no longer the flood trousers versus the, you know, whatever. It seems you can do whatever you want now, which is really nice.
0: Yeah. The rabbi Paris is no more.
1: Yeah, and we often, when we use this poem in workshops, and we have done quite a lot, ask people to think of the sayings in their own families or maybe what kids might have been saying at school when they were growing up but that they don't hear anymore, especially language you don't hear anymore. And it brings up all sorts of interesting memories of what your granny might have said or what your, you know, what your auntie might have said or even what your pals might have said um, at school that, that doesn't get say it, said anymore. And like your story, you know, often they're very incredibly local. Which is which is nice, and it reminds us of things that are long gone that we can bring back in our writing. So,
0: and I quite like as well. Sometimes in in that sort of scenario, somebody will have a saying or a phrase, and somebody else in the group will have something that's similar but not quite the same. Yeah, exactly. Which is fun too to see that those those things sort of cross families and cross localities, um, and they might not be expressed in exactly the same way, but there is the the need to have something that explains a sentiment. Ah, yeah. Well,
1: thank you, Claire, for writing that poem, for the bravery of writing that poem and committing it to paper, but also for all the joy that it's brought so many of our groups. And as I say, you'll be able to find it on our open book website at openbookreading.com in the unbound section um, in our bumper newsletter. And you can tweet us or let us know what you think about these sayings and add your own to the list of the things that grandparents used to say, or neighbors used to say, or other people used to say that we don't hear anymore.
0: I think that's all from us today. Thank you again for letting us be in your ears and we'll be back next month with another story and poem to share with you.